basis of our remarks. Peter is giving us some encouragement. We always want to read about those references that encourages us to continue the spiritual fight that we are in. The title of my remarks this morning are The Promise, Patience, and the Purpose of God. And these all are found in the first few verses of 2 Peter, the, the third chapter. Here in the third chapter, beginning with the third verse, Peter says, I'm in the first Peter, I'm sorry. Second Peter, the third chapter, and beginning with the third verse, he says, Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lust, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. I had a personal experience that happened to me and my foreman at the time, it was before I went into the ministry. We were talking about the things of life and I just happened to mention, not purposely, but the thought just came to me I said, the Bible speaks about the coming of our Lord. And my foreman interrupted my remarks. He says, Wes, he said, I've heard that all of my life. Notice that, I've heard that all of my life. And this is what Peter says that people will say in the last days. Okay. <clears throat> Where is the sign or when's this going to come to pass? <clears throat> Where is the promise of his coming? Because life has just gone on from the time of creation. The promise of God <coughs> is and has been from the time of creation, or rather shortly after at least, man sinned. I believe the promise is found in, in Genesis 3rd chapter, in the 15th verse, where it speaks about the Messiah to come. At least I haven't heard any diverse remarks concerning whether it refers to Christ or not. Practically everybody feels that that was the first promise of the Messiah to come. And as we take up the thought from Exodus on, that was the primary thought in the minds of people. The Messiah is coming. The Messiah is going to come and die for the sins of man. It was a wonderful promise that God had given to the people. 
But in the last days, it seems that people are going to take it lightly. For their attitude is going to be, where is the promise of his coming? It's been so long and he hasn't come yet. But the promise of, of his coming is a promise that we're still holding to today. Notice in John the 14th chapter. Oh, okay. In John the 14th chapter, Christ is about to leave and go back to the Father once he came. And his disciples were very sad when he told them that he was going to leave them. He said, let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. All of this years in the past, you believed God, you believed his promises. Now believe me when I say that I'm going to come again. I'm going to go back to the Father from whence I came, but I'm going to come back. I'm going to come back, and we'll read that further in these verses here. But he was trying to build up their courage, their trust. You believe the Father? Believe also in me, his Son. In the second verse, he says, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. In the King James, where it says, In my Father's house are many mansions, apparently that really is not the correct interpretation of the Hebrew. If your translation says, In my Father's house are many abodes, they tell us that's closer to the original Hebrew than many mansions. In my Father's house are many abodes. And Christ said that he was getting ready to go to prepare a place for them. Now he's not going to prepare those abodes. He says in my Father's house are many abodes. They already exist. But he said, I go to prepare a place for you. What did it take for Christ to prepare that place for them? It took his death, his resurrection, his ascension to heaven to assure us a home in the kingdom to come. Christ knew that he was going to die and the time was getting very close. To that time when he was going to give his life as a ransom for you and I. That's what he is referring to when he says, I go to prepare a place for you. But so many, when they speak on this, they say he's going back to heaven to prepare a place for us. In my father's house are many mansions, many abodes. He's not referring to that. Those abodes already exist. But if Christ hadn't died, if Christ hadn't rose from the grave, if he hadn't ascended back to heaven, you and I would not have an assurance 
in those abodes in the kingdom to come. But I want to emphasize verse 3. He said, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. Notice that emphatic promise. Christ said, I will come again. There's nothing that will hinder me from coming back. You can believe that just as surely as you believe the promises of my Father. And throughout the scriptures, especially the new scriptures, this wonderful promise is interwoven throughout the New Testament. In the Old Testament, there are some promises there of his coming the second time, but most generally, the references are him coming the first time and dying on the cross. That's why the law of Moses was a type or a shadow of Christ to come, explaining to the people that he was the true, going to be the true Lamb of God. In fact, when John first laid eyes on Christ, he says, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. That's what the scriptures taught the people. That the real sacrifice was going to come someday. But the thought that we want to emphasize today is, even though the people are taking it lightly, it's assurance to us today to continue to fight the good fight of faith. Not to become discouraged to the point of giving up because Christ made that promise, if I go, I will come again. Let us notice something that was spoken at his ascension in Acts the second, in Acts the first chapter, I'm sorry. In Acts the first chapter. And beginning with the tenth verse, Christ has left this earth He's still in the realm of where they can still see him in the clouds of heaven. Can you not picture the disciples and his followers standing there looking up toward heaven and sadness in their hearts? And the verse 10 says that while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white upright. It must have been two angels that God sent from heaven to reassure them. But notice verse 11. He said, the angels said, if they were angels, and I do believe they were, which also said, ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? The same Jesus, the same Jesus which is taken up from you into heaven shall so come in like manner as you've seen him go into heaven. Now why should this be a concern to us today? Yes, I, I, 
I feel and I do believe it's a wonderful promise. But there's something else that we can depend upon. What is that? Because there is a church today that says Christ has already come. They say he came in, I believe it's 1918. They say you can only see him with your spiritual eye. With your spiritual eye. That's not according to scripture. Because the angels here says, you'll see him come in the same manner as you've seen him go into heaven. They saw him go in a physical form. And I tell you, brethren, man will see him return in a physical form. It's not going to take a spiritual eye to see him because the wicked is going to see him also. They will cry out to the rocks and the hills, hide us from him that cometh. They know they are unprepared. And they want to hide from him. Why? Because they see him. And they put him up, they put off preparing themselves until he was too late. It was too late. But Christ is going to fulfill that promise, brethren. This old world with its sinful disappointments, heartaches, and sorrows and pain is going to be done away with. And Christ is going to come and he's going to renew this earth. <clears throat> Bring it back into the condition that it once existed. That doesn't happen in the millennial reign over one day of time. But Christ is going to reign king as king of kings and lord of lords. He is going to reign with Sternness. And there's a word I can do not remember in Revelation that emphasizes his sternness. He's arrayed with a rod of iron. It indicates that it's going to take sternness during that period of time. But at the end of the millennial reign, when he turns it over to the Father, this earth is going to be destroyed as we know it and a new earth will come forth not that there's going to be new dirt new mountains and so forth but it's going to be renewed it's going to be renewed he will so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven the promise is assured and God is a God that cannot lie because you hand upon it. Turn to First Thessalonians, the first chapter. First Thessalonians will get another insight of what will occur at the coming of Christ. We will not be disappointed or wonder what or how it's going to happen. 
Paul is as he wrote to the church of Thessalonica. He says, brethren, I don't want you to be ignorant. I don't want you to be ignorant about these things. Beginning with verse 16. First Thessalonians, the fourth chapter, almost in the second chapter. First Thessalonians, the fourth chapter, beginning the sixteenth verse. For the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the cloud to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. What's going to happen when the Lord comes? What's going to announce that time of appearing that we will know for assurance that it is our Christ? A trumpet going to sound. And I tell you that trumpet is going to be music to our ears when we hear it. This church that I mentioned a while ago that believed that uh, uh, you can only see it with your spiritual eye. It's going to be quite a loud entrance to this earthly hemisphere. It's not going to be a silent interest. Christ is not going to slip in unannounced. But the trump of God is going to sound, and I tell you, those in China is going to hear it at the same time as we will. It's going to be heard throughout the whole world, around the whole world. Announcing the coming of our Lord. He's here. He's come. He's fulfilled his promise. When he told us that he's going to come back to this earth. Yes, the promise is assured. We just need to hold on to it. And to believe it. And live it. And in other words, when I say live it means. I am referring to live a life. And we actually believe that Christ is coming back. The majority of the world is living as if. Quite a sign to me at least that they do not believe that Christ is coming back. Because he has, they have not prepared themselves. And if they're in the process of preparing themselves, will they feel well, that... <coughs> Is that scripture is not too important. And especially those references where it's encouraging us and the rest of the world to remember the seventh day as the Sabbath of the Lord. People say, well, as long as you keep one, that's, that's all that matters. But if it didn't matter, God wouldn't have gone to such an extent to identify the day he would have gone to the extent of sanctifying it, making it holy, setting it aside. And I tell you, brother, the Sabbath seems to be the heart of the ten. 
when you become, when we become careless about the Sabbath, we're going to be careless about the other nine. One way or another, as we look at man, we can see they might keep eight of them, but one of the other nine they're going to be careless on. Why? Because they're careless about the Sabbath. They don't think it's important. They don't believe that it's important enough that it's going to affect one's salvation. As long as we keep one day. <clears throat> but Paul said, I don't want to be ignorant about the coming of the Lord. Let us come back to Second Peter. <clears throat> the one that we begin with. Second Peter, the third chapter, and this time in the eighth verse. <clears throat> Three and verse eight. Peter said, But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord is as a thousand years, and a thousand years years as one day. Man feels what things have continued as they were from the beginning of time and the Lord must either forgotten or he doesn't think the promises very sure because it's been so long it's been so long since he made that first promise. They say since our fathers fell asleep Everything is continued as it has been from the time of beginning. But Peter is reminding the church that one day with the Lord is as a thousand years. God has no time. Time means nothing to him. As far as the allotted time of his coming, Acts tells us, and I cannot remember the exact chapter and verse, but it says, God has appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness. He has already appointed that day when he's going to send forth and tell his son, son, Today is the day go and judge man upon the earth. Christ doesn't know the day. God has locked that in his mind as a secret. There is also a church that teaches quite openly. They say that if you and I had gotten out and worked like we ought to have worked, and I don't deny that maybe we could have done a lot more than we've done. But they say if you and I had gotten out and worked like we ought to have worked, Christ could have come a long time ago. No, brethren. God has appointed a day. There is nothing that you and I could do to hasten it, and there's nothing we could do to prolong it. 
that time comes, when that day comes, when that date comes, God again, as I said, is going to speak to his son. Today's the day. Go and judge the earth. But the people here that Peter's talking about, he says in the last days, man will say, well, God must have forgotten the promise. All things continue as they were from the time of beginning. But he says to the church, Beloved, remember, as far as the time with the Lord is concerned, a thousand years is like one day. This is nothing new as far, as far as being found in the New Testament is concerned. Turn back to Psalms, the 40th, excuse me, the 90th, the 90th Psalm. The 90th Psalm in verse 4. David said, Blessed is that man that maketh the Lord his trust. Amen. Song, Psalms 90. And verse 4. David said, For a thousand years in thy sight are but as yesterday. Notice that. For a thousand years in thy sight are but as yesterday when it is past. And as a watch in the night. Peter was not saying anything new to the church, but was reminding the church that the Lord made the promise he's going to come back and we can still rely upon him. And even though Peter spoke 2,000 years ago, we can still rely upon that promise that Jesus is coming back. Is coming back. God has patience that you and I probably cannot realize. Notice Hebrews, the 12th chapter. Hebrews, the 12th chapter, is a thought that I also feel goes along with our thoughts. <clears throat> Hebrews, the 12th chapter, the first verse. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. This cloud of witnesses he's talking about is what's spoken of in the 11th chapter. The faith chapter. Speaking about the giants, the faith of the giants of our forefathers. <clears throat> he said, seeing that we're compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Lay up, let us lay aside every weight and sin which so easily beset us. Let us run with patience the race that is before us. <clears throat> patience. God has patience. In Genesis, he said he's going to send forth his son. 
And it took 2,000 years for him to come as the Messiah. When Christ was here, he says, let not your heart be troubled. I'm going to come back again. That was spoken about 2,000 years ago. And we should not become heavy of heart in feeling that God is not going to fulfill his word. Jesus is coming back someday. We can depend upon it. We just have to be patient. We have to be patient until the coming of the Lord. Let's go back to 2 Peter, the third chapter, for our final thought this morning. In 2 Peter, the third chapter, and the ninth verse, the latter part of the book, we'll read it all. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, and that's the promise he's talking about, the coming of the Lord. He's not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but his long suffering to us word, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Since Christ hasn't come, did you ever stop and think and realize that God is showing compassion to us? Think what I just read. God is not willing that any should perish. He's waiting. Just as he waited in the days of Noah, I think the scripture says it took Noah 120 years to build the ark. Why did you think that God waited for 120 years? Compassion. Waiting for man to change his ways. And if Christ had have come, say, 500 years ago, how would that affect you and I? I don't think we would be here sitting in our seats at church. But that shows the compassion that God has, waiting for man to change his ways, not cutting time short, I suppose that God could have said, yes, I have set the time in the future, but I'm just going to give up on man. I'm going to send Christ today. God is showing compassion. That's the purpose. That he hasn't sent Christ sooner than he has. Because he wants every individual to have an opportunity to change his ways. He had <coughs> compassion. 
in 1 Timothy, the second chapter. 1 Timothy, the second chapter. Talking to Timothy, encouraging Timothy and his ministry. 1 Timothy 2 and verse 4. More or less say the same things that Peter said in verse 4. He says, Who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth? Here again, truth is it shows that the truth is important, brethren. That's why we just studied our Sabbath school lesson last Sabbath. We must worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. That's the only worship that he will accept for those who worship him in spirit and in truth. But people say, Brother Walker, you're judging. No, it's not me. It's what the scripture says. It says we must worship him in spirit and in truth. Why is the word must used so emphatically? The word must is imperative. There's no other way that God will accept. Worship from man is that only if he worships him in spirit and in truth. But here Paul is telling Timothy, encouraging him He says, Timothy, and I'm paraphrasing it, go and preach the word because God would have all men to be saved. All nationalities, all colors, all phases of races. God has left no one out. When Christ died on the cross, he died for everyone, every race, kindred, tongue, and people. That's the purpose of God. God has a purpose. We're not sending forth his son as yet. He has compassion. He's still waiting for man to change his ways. My closing text, 1 Peter, the third chapter. Now this is not 2 Peter, it's 1 Peter. 1 Peter, the third chapter. I alluded it to us a short while ago, but I will read it. 1 Peter 3 and verse 20. Which sometime were disobedient, talking about man. Sometimes were disobedient when once the long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah. Notice it says he waited. It wasn't something that just happened. He waited in the days of Noah while the ark was a preparing. 
wherein few, that is, eight souls were saved by watching. Don't you think that God knew the outcome although of that hundred and twenty years? God could have said, and again, I'm just paraphrasing my thoughts. Oh, there's no use of waiting 120 years. There's only going to be eight souls saved, so let's, uh, let's bring it to a close now. God knew the end. The Bible says he knows the end from the beginning. But God has patience. He's long-suffering. He has compassion. He's still waiting for man, for the world as a whole, to change their ways. God knows the end. He's still waiting. He's still waiting. So, brethren, do we fully understand the promise? Do we really appreciate the patience of God? Are we fulfilling his purpose? That is something you need to think about, pray about, and be about the Lord's business. God bless you, my friend.